listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. Welcome to episode 79 of Cinemental. How can you talk if you haven't got a brain? I don't know. But some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. Then why don't you kiss me like everybody else does? How about new? The thing is, Bob, it's not that I'm lazy. It's that I just don't care. I came here like this so you'll know my word of death is true. And that my word of life is then true. everyone and welcome to another episode of the movie podcast that we can only hope you enjoy listening to as much as we enjoy making my name is Stephen hovicky and as always i'm here with my co-host Hassan goblin and latham conger the third our returning guest tonight is one of the world's leading experts in story and narrative design working to maximize the effectiveness of brand narratives develop new worlds and design successful transmedia franchises as well as working on such properties as avatar pirates of the caribbean halo and spider-man he has written and or produced hit comic books video games animated series global ad campaigns and immersive experiences for the likes of magic the gathering nintendo mattel coca-cola and the big d disney he is also happens to be the ceo of starlight runner jeff gomez welcome back to Cinemental. Thank you so much for having me back. My God, I am Why? happy to have you back. Your, uh, <laughs> your first time around, your your movie picks were good, and we had a, a fun conversation. I will I will absolutely never forget uh, Hassan and Latham's experiences on Basket Case. And, uh... <laughs> I, I aim to please. <laughs> <laughs> Now it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, so starting off, we will suffer from consumption, Hassan. Oh, crumbs. Um, <laughs> Crones. I said crumbs. Oh. Uh, what? Am I? I don't even remember what. Everything was on hiatus. Like, um, uh, I watched uh, the the making of uh, documentary for Wandavision. We'll start. We'll start there. Right. I did. I watched. I, I watched the Mormon, the murder in the Mormon again because I had fallen asleep the first time and <laughs> didn't didn't get the didn't get the full point of it. But you know, then I watched it again and I was like, oh man. <laughs> yeah, uh, three episodes was a good length for it, though, right? It was because if it was, it had gone on a little too. Well, it was already a, a extensive yeah. and kind of a little self mocking, you know. In in places, it was kind of weird. Um, I'll still never understand. I, I don't get I watch it. I watch way too much true crime in, in general. And people got problems. So then they decide <laughs> to, to blow other people up. I don't understand how they think that's going to make their problems better. I'm I know maybe I'm not a criminal mastermind, but I just I like how is this? How is you're in jail how now for 100 better? years? How is this? How has this improved anything? Did you read uh, Under the Banner of Heaven? No, I did. By not. John Krakauer. I did not. No, what's that about? Okay, curious if it's if it's along those lines. No, what what is that? It's I'm sorry. Uh, it's a book by John Krakauer who wrote Into Thin Air. Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah. You know who yeah. he is. He wrote a uh, book called Under the Banner of Heaven uh, about some Mormons doing some awful things. Oh, okay. I'm, I, I like Krakauer's uh, writing a lot. I've read a couple of his books, so. Uh... Yeah, all his books are really good. No, this wasn't. This wasn't like a, a critique or anything of the Mormon 
faith or the, the lifestyle or anything like that. It was just, it was just a, a circumstance that happened with the person who, um, who was like, like some kind of ridiculously talented forger. And he was attempting oh. pre- basically to rewrite the Mormon history with yeah. these documents <laughs> that he discovered you know, he, in, yeah, uh, over, in, overnight, he became the foremost uh, procurer of lost and newly found Mormon uh, historical documents in the world. Yeah, that, and, people, uh, nobody, and nobody was like their historical hmm, faith. Really? All of a sudden, well, they were, guy- they, you know, they, they, that's probably the only um, the only critique of them that they were also and I will not use the word desperate, but they were also anxious to you know, have a piece of history or be part of this, the, the historical, yeah. you know, uh, event that they just kind of turned off their logic for the, you know, for, for the duration until, until several people, uh, several more skeptical people started taking a deeper look into what this man was, uh, you know, was managing to, uh, you know, manifest out of thin air. And then, you know, as soon as one person, as, as, as with always, these, these like uh, long grifts happen, as soon as one person is like, wait a minute, and does an extensive look, it starts to, to, you know, spiral out of control for the forger. And then so he decided to blow people up. That was his solution so, to it. <laughs> um, so it doesn't rip on, on the Mormons or their religion? Not, not, not really. really. No. Okay, well, I don't want to watch it then. <laughs> and just so you know, Lay, the, the Krakauer book actually deals with something from uh, something about 10 or 12 years before what we were talking about. This is a, a, it's a different situation. So, yeah, I knew it wasn't the same yeah. situation. I just, the Mormons have been racked with, with controversy and now it's just coming out recently. Yeah. So. I watched uh, the, the latest episode of Clarice. Okay. So, uh, I don't know. Monday, I watched the penultimate episode of, of Snowpiercer. I was I was very shocked to see that we were at the end of the season already. You know? Yeah, right. Like time is just blowing by. Uh, do they do ten full episodes, or they only do a short yeah, season? Okay. But they 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 did eight episodes, and then uh, next week's going to be a two hour finale. So they're going to put the two episodes together. Gotcha. Um, Smart. Well, depends on how good the, the the finale is. Tuesday. I don't think I watched anything Tuesday. I was writing. And then there's today. Today I watched a couple of movies and went uh, slightly insane because I was up all night doing some <laughs> art. Uh, and then, then we recorded and I went to sleep and then I woke up and I'm here now. <laughs> Fantastic. That's why you didn't join in our test. <laughs> no, I was I was I was out. soundly unconscious. I was on I was in La La Land and, and buying a house. That's how deep. I was in the wow in the other regions of of consciousness. So oh, all right, uh, Lay, what do you got? I have I saw three movies other than the three we're seeing were or other than the two we're discussing tonight. I, I pick a horror movie every week in honor of you, just to <laughs> try and keep up, which I'll never do. But uh, I watched Creep. Oh, with uh, Jay Duplass, uh, Mark, Mark I think Duplass. Mark Duplass. Okay. I would confuse the two, uh, so. which I had no idea it was a found footage movie. Yeah. Uh, I know you've seen it. Have you seen it, guys? No, Jeff, I have not. You've seen it, yeah. Jeff? Yeah. yeah, it almost almost worked real close. <laughs> uh, I, I'm a big fan of Blair Witch. So this was basically Blair Witch in plain sight. And there were some good parts. The last scene is 
or the penultimate scene is to steal Hassan's term is uh, <laughs> is pretty great. That's that's a fairly shocking, and uh, I wish it would have ended. I almost wish it would have ended there instead of what, what people what people like to compare that. it to. Man bites dog. Well, man bites dog is scarier and yeah. and harder. To, there's some scenes of man bites dog that you're just like, oh, I wish I hadn't seen that. So, <laughs> Uh, this has this, more this just, is going to do damage. <laughs> it's hard to carry a movie with two people, but it, it, it it's yeah. good. It's not. It's it's definitely worth seeing, and it's it must have cost nothing to make. Right. I mean, just nothing. Pure so, profit. Pure, he probably yeah, shot it profit. at like his like you know at like his whatever his his, his cabin or his like you know his yeah his exactly. like vacation it, home or something you know. I'm sure they shot Renegade some of that footage too. Sure. So I there's mean, a sequel. Yeah, I'm gonna watch the see. I want to see what what he does, what they do with the sequel. Um, so that's the first one. Second movie was uh, Midnight Special. Oh, uh, I like that. I did too. Michael Sheen. That's yeah, Michael Shannon. Um, just a you know, a lot of these little sci-fi movies that are on Netflix and that you hear about, like The Endless, and right. I forgot the other one I watched. Uh, the uh, the one with uh, Lawrence Fishburne, uh, The Signal. Oh, yeah. Like all those, they have great little premises. They they push off and then they never get a good enough ending to complete it. And this one had a pretty profound ending yeah. that was... Midnight Special I stuck the landing and was yeah. surprisingly big for, for such it a was, Yeah, film. that's that's it exactly, Jeff. It was way bigger than I thought and I thought that was cool. Isn't Adam Driver and, in uh, that also? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I did see that. All yeah, right. That was the surprise. I didn't know he was in it too. So that was kind of cool. I felt like Midnight Special um, was a movie that JJ Abrams wish he would have made. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so funny you said that. Someone else I talked to today, I talked to Joe about it, and he said he felt like the movie was like a little bit lesser version of Super 8. Okay. And I agree. And then I watched a drama I had wanted to see for a long time. It's just been on my movie list, and I just picked it out of the blue, and it was unbelievably good and that was little children little children has anyone seen that doesn't ring a bell uh todd field who did oh, in the bedroom okay. i know todd field stuff uh, little children was with kate winslet patrick wilson uh, i've seen that i've seen that uh jennifer conley it's just man does it hit you like a sledgehammer they're just it's a sad film re- sad film and a really uncomfortable they're just uncomfortable scenes in that movie Jackie Earl Haley is just, I mean, my goodness, he plays such an ugly, ugly character, but it's, it's, it's just so visceral. And so just the message of it, I got, and it's good when you get the message early and then you watch every time they're trying to hammer it home. And it's, it's just rough. It's a rough, I'll probably never watch it again, (laughs) but it's a, it's, it's brilliant. It's really good. I feel like Jackie Earl Haley is one of those guys who we, we all became acquainted with him from, from Bad News Bears. And then he seemed to like... And breaking away, right? And breaking away. And he seemed to like disappear for like 15, 18 years. I don't know. And then just obviously the last 10, 12 years, he's, he started to make a comeback, which is great. But I don't know that I've ever seen him in anything. And he was bad. Like he's even like in the in the in the horrible Friday or uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street remake, he's still yeah. good, right? Uh, Watchmen. Oh, he's cool. Um, he's great as Rorschach. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's just he's. I don't know. He just even his really tiny yeah. role in Lincoln, which uh. Oh right, great point. Was, uh, great point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's one Very of those memorable. guys who 
for whatever reason went off and either did did other things or was or was just not very visible for a period of time but everything i've ever seen him in he's been great he does a lot of theater yeah, he's, from what i understand. oh does he really okay mm-hmm. that makes sense and he has he his own acting troupe or, or something that's right hassan is right nice. um good for him he got nominated for academy award for little children and it's I mean, after you see it, you're like, oh, my God, he, he deserves it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, yeah, so I saw those and um, no real TV. Mm-hmm. I started reading the Stephen King book, The Outsider, which is fantastic. It's oh, just fantastic. Good. I can't wait to watch the the, the um, HBO, right? Uh, the HBO. Yeah, version you of can. Once you can wait. <laughs> I can wait. Actually, actually, no, I liked it. It's it is it is an acquired taste though. It's very did you read it's the very book strange. I never read it. You read the book, okay. so I watched it cold. The book is an extremely slow burn. The book is like well, then it's uh, the 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 show is accurate. Because <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it takes its time, you know. And then the only other thing I consumed was I was in when I was in Vegas. I I went to this bookstore and found this book on the side rack and it was called the true romantics and i started reading it and uh i got 125 pages in and then so. you threw it out the window <laughs> i oh, threw no, it out I the plane have... window <laughs> no i have this i have this yes. and this and this <laughs> we'll talk about that later but i definitely suffered from consumption <laughs> what uh hold uh, on yeah. One second. Um, I did watch. I did remember. I, I watched all of Star Trek Picard again, but oh, it, I, I totally really? forgot about it. I watched all of Star Trek Picard, and then did any because of the second time around, <laughs> it's you know what it moves differently now that a lot of the now that I know a lot of the uh, the ends of most of the mysteries, right? And so I was just able to see how a lot of things were foreshadowed. It's a very strange show, though. It's not. It is. It's actually odd and and disjointed. It felt to me. Yeah. Hardly produced. Yes, I don't understand. I don't understand a lot of modern truck, because mm-hmm. some of the problems that they have are are very rudimentary. You know, with the, some of the stuff that I think that they do really well are, are really the, the 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 hard parts. You know, and they get that really well, and then some of just the regular some regular storytelling beats or some, you know, kind of regular character building things. They just don't seem to have any skills with what whatsoever. And they just make the same mistakes over and over. It's kind of like, I liken it to, um, to the last Jedi in the sense of the biggest critique of the, the force awakens was that the character of Ray didn't have any proper development and that she was, she, she seemed oddly, you know, prescient in, in how to do things you know, or, or uh, you know, adept at how to do things without any explanation. And then you have this, uh, the, the Last Jedi, you have the opportunity to, you know, just do a simple montage of her training so that that would quiet all the, all the critiques. And they just didn't do that. They went in the opposite route. So now, now we're suffering from people making that same claim about the character again. And then all the other, the, all the other baggage that came with The Last Jedi, which we will not uh, relitigate. Um, here um, so it's just it, it was a weird beat like why wouldn't you just you know that's that seems very simple fix without having to go too deep into fan service you know 
in order to just it's like they got an old writer like from one of the older treks and had them try and write a modern trek i that's what i felt like yeah it was it was it was fine but it I mean, it is. It I don't know. I and then I watched Lower Decks again because of the uh, because of the Paramount Plus yeah. app, like just yeah, led right into it. Just started right into Lower Decks, and then and I watched that again, and that was a highly enjoyable experience for me. That's, that's at least really? that's yeah. the animated one, right? Yeah, but then I, I apologize. <laughs> now I'm done. Now I'm done. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. Nothing to apologize. Let's for. hear Jeff. Well, yeah, I'm in. Uh, I'm in the Producers Guild. Uh, so I, um, uh, I I have a whole raft of depressing movies to watch uh, for, for the awards, you know, uh, for, uh, for the depressing film awards. And and this, this year it's even more depressing than any other year. I, I don't understand. You know, um, it, it was I, I got to tell you, it was a little tough uh, getting to those DVDs or those little digital screeners because you knew that it, it was just going to be such a downer uh, uh you yeah. know the movies that are nominated uh, yeah. for this year that being said uh i thought nomadland was uh was really a gorgeous movie i, I had saved it to close to last so i only saw it this this past week uh, uh something told me that movie was depressing it's depressing. <laughs> Something, but beautiful and not um, not grind you into the ground. Depressing. It's just you know um, uh, indicative of what's going on. You know, so so these these communities of people in cars and vans who have no homes, who just kind of sweep back and forth across the American Midwest together. Uh, to go work at places like Amazon warehouses and, and things oh, like that geez. during these, these holiday uh, uh, times, and then yeah, they, the seasonal. They they drift off following the weather and and, and so forth, and it's <laughs> it's like a true story, um, and it it shows you how beautiful America is and how wonderful people can be to each other under those circumstances, but. God, <laughs> the umbrella unfortunately is very dark. <laughs> Why does this have to be? <laughs> yeah. um, Francis McDormand as uh, as Fern is is of course uh, wonderful yeah, in, in the film, amazing. And there is a um, a monologue done by what what appears to be one of the women who actually is amongst this community. In other words, she wasn't an actress. She was just oh. relating what her life was like that was that pierced your soul. And and uh, and I, I shed tears. It was really, really striking wow. just about her life. Um, so that was that was rough. So we we were searching. Uh, uh, my wife, Chrisula, and I were searching for comedies that we hadn't already seen that were halfway decent. <laughs> Desperately seeking <laughs> Desperately comedy. For God's comedy. sakes, I need something light. <laughs> so you might have mentioned this before uh, on the show, but um, uh, we had, I had resisted Ted Lasso because I thought it was a sports show. Um, and, um, and boy, uh, I, I couldn't have been more wrong about my expectations. Ted Lasso is genu genuinely... Uh, a wonderful, uh, super, super funny show about a, an American uh, football coach who is recruited to um, oversee a, um, uh, a British soccer team. Uh, a oh, okay. Soccer team. And um, 
it's with uh, uh, I think it's, it's Jason Sudeikis. Yes, um, is Ted Lasso, and uh, that is on uh, Apple uh, Apple's network. Right. So we had a guest on a couple of weeks ago who mentioned that that that, that they uh, really they, enjoyed that. Yeah, it, it is uh, it, entirely endearing and and uh, and good humored and um, nice. Not at all a hassle to watch. Uh, really, really <laughs> um, and, and the. Uh, the the last uh, uh, again in that quest for comedy, um, we uh, we stumbled upon Search Party. Uh, this is now on HBO and HBO uh, Max. This is um, uh, a satirical dark comedy thriller. It's a series uh, about a group of friends who become involved in a search for a missing young woman, and um, and the 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 people that it's about are millennials, and this is one of those we're going to skewer millennials really, really well, uh, a kind of uh, 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 situations. And um, the, the, you know, the sense of entitlement, the, the, the childlike um, uh, behavior of, of some millennials very much uh, on display in, uh, in search party. And yet it moved beyond uh, uh, the cringe yeah, uh, and, and actually gets you to kind of like some of the characters and, and, uh, and go along with it's kind of a, a roller coaster uh, a thriller kind of plot as these uh, bizarrely innocent uh, uh, kids get involved in a murder. This has been on for five seasons. How, how, how? Because there's, <laughs> there's too much stuff out there. It's amazing. It's you know, it's got, it's got Alia Shawkat in it. She's great. She is great. Yes, yes. Um, and and what, what it does is it changes it up each year uh, by doing a different subgenre. So, um, oh, that's uh, funny. Uh, there's a year where it's a court, courtroom drama. There's a year where it's a, you know, a Hitchcockian thriller and, and so forth. Um, very cool. So it's kind of it's kind of like a satirical oh, equivalent of American sense. Horror Story. Yeah, something like that. Yes, except it is an ongoing narrative. Uh, so so right. it doesn't it doesn't, it doesn't reboot going. It doesn't <laughs> reboot. Yeah, yeah. R- really, uh, um, cool. Uh, interesting, fun. Sometimes laugh out loud and fun. And that's my stuff. Hmm. Uh, so for Jeff's main film uh, pick tonight, uh, we are headed back to New York City. In, 19, in the late 1960s for Midnight Cowboy. Where's that Joe Buck? Where's that Joe Buck? Where's that Joe Buck? Yeah, where's that Joe Buck? I'm Joe Buck from Texas. Enrico Rizzo from the Bronx. Cowboy, huh? I ain't a for real cowboy. But I am one hell of a stud. And <laughs> how come you ain't scored once the whole time you've been in New York? Because I need management, goddammit. Let's go. Hey, I'm walking here. I'm walking here. Frankly, you're beginning to smell. And for a stud in New York, that's a handicap. Everybody's talking at home. I don't hear words they're saying. Only the echoes of my mind. Not bad, not bad for a cowboy. People stop and stare. I can't 
1969, directed by John Schlesinger with a running time of 113 minutes. A young man travels from Texas to New York City to make his way as a hustler in the big city. After a promising initial start, things go downhill quickly and he ends up sharing a room in a tenement with another essentially homeless guy he forms a very odd friendship with. Yep. Captain Hook. <laughs> Captain Hook. Captain Hook. <laughs> <laughs> He is Smee. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, uh, why Midnight Cowboy? Why Midnight Cowboy? Wow, this is to me um, uh, one of my favorite films of all time. I think it's one of the greater films of all time. Um, uh, I um, I first saw the film uh, when I was very young, when it aired on uh, ABC television with 25 minutes cut out of it. Yeah. When Midnight Cowboy uh, first screened in movie theaters, it was rated X. Yep. Uh, and yet, even when I watched it, uh, there, there was something uh, that, that, I don't know, somehow I was uh, kind of related to. And, and actually, over the years, um, I came to, to kind of haunt Times Square and, uh, and came to know that world very, very well. Uh, this is my my dark shadowy past, which we alluded to um, uh, before um, in, in the last episode. Um, different kind of monsters this time. Different though. kind <laughs> of monsters. That's right. And um, and so the um, you know the the life that that the, the kind of subcultures that would go on in Times Square movie theaters, uh, and not just the, the the drugs and the sex, but the behave the all kinds of behaviors and the way that audiences related to film uh, uh, in that at that time, uh, we're talking for me about the uh, uh, late '70s and early '80s, uh, was really um, uh, something that's that stayed with me. Uh, I also, uh, when I when I got older and started uh, volunteering during the uh, AIDS crisis. Um, I, I got to know uh, a lot of uh, young uh, gay uh, teenagers, young adults, and uh, and so the, the the hustler life and and the lives that they lived lived in Times Square and in other areas around the city um, were were quite palpable and and desperate and um, and so uh, the movie, in retrospect, uh, uh, took on. Uh, a deeper reality uh, uh, for me, and its its truth, its authenticity, was was astounding. Um, it, it it laid the groundwork, guys, for uh, for the movies of the '70s that we have come to know as those gritty uh, New York movies, uh, Taxi Driver, you know, um, uh, The French Connection, th things like that. Yeah, uh, very uh, uh, New York bound. It's also important to me because um, uh, it was one of the, if not the first movie that basically came out and said, you know, people like this live in, in our world, exist in our world, and are worthy of, of some dignity. Um, and um, uh, that, was, um, that was a powerful statement, the decision to make this movie was a powerful decision. The last reason uh, was because um, uh, when I became a producer and, and joined the Producers Guild of America, the head of the PGA uh, was David Picker. Uh, he helped get this movie greenlit 
and, um, and he was one of the people who supervised its production uh, from the studio side, United Artists. Uh, uh, David Picker um, uh, became my mentor and um, uh, told me a lot about the, uh, the production of the film and the decision-making that went into it. Um, he also was uh, incredibly influential in my career and helped me to bring a, a transmedia practice to Hollywood and, and get involved with productions like Pirates of the Caribbean and Avatar and, uh, uh, you know, all the, the big blockbusters we got to work on. So I, in, in, for many reasons, um, uh, the film is special to me. Yeah, I uh, <clears throat> I had never seen this before. This is one of those uh, movies on the list of great films that uh, I had somehow not gotten around to. Uh, and I got to tell you, I, I was probably an hour into this before I, re I you know, I, I stepped into this. It seemed like it was operating on a lot of different frequencies for me. It was it was kind of I don't want to say chaotic yet. But for it seemed like I couldn't quite grasp, not the narrative, the narrative is right there in front of you. I couldn't quite grasp where it was going and kind of what it was, where we were, where we were headed with it. And uh, it was about an hour in when all of a sudden, honestly, the whole thing just became very clear. And after that, I was really able to just sit back and enjoy the rest of the film uh, in an entirely different way. It, it was really good. Um, you know, I, I did a little bit of the, the sort of deep digging and, and, re, and reading into a lot of what other people have thought and said about the underlying themes and all the different uh, stuff that's going on in this film. I, I just felt like, let me ask you a question. What, what resonated uh, for you that, that um, from what you've read and, and how you felt about the, the film? Well, on, honestly, to me, this movie is, is, has, is, at its core and primarily just about friendship. I mean, it's really about when it comes down to it, people, people who like to dig deeper into the subtext of film and all that kind of stuff go much, much deeper than that. But for me, this is about two guys from two very disparate parts of the U S who end up essentially becoming friends simply because they're both kind of in the same situation. And yet they both have, they both grow to enjoy each other's company, you know, for whatever, whatever reason, you know, and it's that all that stuff at the beginning. And that, like I said, in the first hour, the chaos of like every time something would happen and either he would start flashing back to whatever that event was that happened in Texas where he was caught with the girl in the car. So here's a question. So that sequence where he's caught with the, what I'm guessing is the, one of the local town pumps, in the car or whatever. And the, and the group of guys pull him out and her out. And she's traumatized to the point where she gets sent away. Are we supposed to think that he was sodomized during that experience or he was just sort of traumatized? He, and he, he was sodomized. Okay. All right. They okay. were both raped. Okay. Okay. So, so, so my question was this, do you think that that, that those flashbacks and especially in that first hour of the movie where they would flash back to those chaotic moments that he, that he had, while he was in Texas were supposed to be the equivalent of kind of what he was experiencing in, in the new chaos of being in New York city and kind of being thrown into that kind of pool initially. And then all that seems to like settle down around the 40 or, you know, 
hour long mark in the last 45 minutes is pretty straightforward rolling. You don't get as much of that sort of like visual chaos being thrown at you. Uh, especially one, I mean, I mean, after they go to the, the Andy Warhol party, but that's more of a sense of where they're at and what's going on and, and it being 1968 or 69 or whatever it's supposed to be. Sure. But um, I was just wondering if you thought that that was supposed to be sort of, you know, along those lines of like, I think that's a, it's a really interesting observation. There, there, there are some indications that, that she didn't quite know, know or understand what was going on even before the interlopers um, uh, were, were there that, that she was not a, a, quite in, in her right mind in the first place. Um, and that Joe was, uh, you know, just kind of trying to assert his masculinity, even though, uh, he himself was, was, uh, an aspect of himself was questioning it. So he went with a girl who, you know, it would be easy to do that with. And if you've noticed, um, he, He's not that good with girls, right? <laughs> as as the the film progresses, because he's likely gay, right? Yeah, I you know I read up upon a lot of that stuff, and I I don't and and whether or not that he meant to 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 insert that subtext into there, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily I don't disagree with the concept as it being like, I don't write off the concept as being ridiculous. I just don't know if I buy into it quite as fully as that i think that he clearly is you know he's got questions obviously but you know and one of the things that they point to is the later the later scene with brenda vaccaro and you know where at first he can't really perform but then they start playing word games and you know eventually everything turns around everything's fine so, you know, they point to that scene initially and I, you know, I had actually read that before I saw it. So when it got to it, I was like, oh, OK. But then when he turned it around, I was like, well, the scene goes on past that point. So why point to that as this is a determiner of one thing when there's more afterwards? But here nor there. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I really liked the movie. I thought it was uh, it's stunning to me still that a, a movie like this would be would, you know, out, you know, not even looking at the X rating, but which is still funny for us to look at today as that movie got an X rating when, you know, it's by the way, uh, just, uh, uh, I wanted to point out and, and picker uh, confirm this with me. The X rating is, is not real. Um, uh, so w- here's what really happened with the production of the film. The, um, uh, uh, the, the MPAA or the equivalent at the time. Yeah. Uh, uh, said, look, this is a hard R. This is an R-rated film. But uh, the the head of the studio um, hired uh, a, a, um, a psychiatrist uh, to, to look at the film to make sure he, he felt uneasy uh, about the film. And the, the psychiatrist said, listen, uh, this film is a danger. It, it is, it, it, can, it can promote um, homosexuality. Oh boy! Wow. <laughs> um, you know, homo- homosexuality Man. was essentially considered a contagious disease uh, uh, back then. So weird. And um, uh, and so uh, the studio head rated it X, not the MPAA. Wow, uh, that's so, correct. So it went out with an X rating, and when it uh, got nominated for all those Oscars. 
you know, the the apocryphal story was that that they then, um, uh, you know, <laughs> because of the MPAA, cut cut some frames out of the film <laughs> and and made it get an R. Uh, not a single frame was removed from right. the Cowboy. Yeah, <laughs> for, for, for it to get an R rating. <laughs> but uh, it's still, I mean, it's still uh, amazing to see that at that time that a this would not only get nominated for best picture but would actually go on to win. I know uh, John Wade had some John Wayne had some rather unkind words to say about that in a, in a Playboy interview. For sure. Yes. But uh, <laughs> it's very true. Well, he was yeah, I mean, he, but, but, uh, but but think about um, uh, the the filmmakers at the time who were watching um, uh, a French uh, uh, movies and and European movies. Uh, oh, genre. sure. Godard, um, uh, Francois Truffaut, they were making these incredible movies and Hollywood directors felt trapped. They felt like <laughs> stuck in the, the old code right. you know, uh, and, and so forth. They wanted to be free. And at United Artists, they, um, they actually kind of allowed that. You right. know, they, they, um, they said, look, go ahead, do it. You know, uh, it, it was only a month or so after Midnight Cowboy came out that the Stonewall riots uh, uh, happened. Um, oh. uh, Midnight Cowboy was first. Uh, and, and then, you know, suddenly the, the gay liberation movement was happening. Another, <laughs> yeah. another specifically New York thing. Very, very New York, Stonewall. There you <laughs> yeah. go. Latham? Well, I do like this movie a lot. I saw it a while ago, as well as two days ago. The context of it that's interesting is you know, it came out in 1969. First of all, it came, it came out on May 25th, which, yeah. you know, that we, we didn't have Jaws yet. But, or hey, uh, you're out of school. <laughs> you you, you want to go see a summer blockbuster? <laughs> Let's go see Midnight Cowboy, okay? <laughs> it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's funny that I watched Little Children this week. It reminds me of this movie because it's just scene after scene of – uncomfortable things and stuff most people that weren't aware of or didn't know about like Jeff said it you know it, it presented a batch of characters that you you know you don't normally know about and you probably wouldn't think too highly of but they deserve some of their own dignity for, for just trying to live the life they're living and that's why the reason why this works so well is the you know Dustin Hoffman and John Voight I mean they're the you know they're the they're the crux of why yeah. this works you, if you don't have actors like that, a lot of those CD scenes and the back alley stuff and everything that's going on is it's it's just not going to seem as interesting to you as a casual viewer that's not part of that world. But they sell it and they make it interesting, and John Schlesinger makes it interesting the way he directs it, and you know that that's not easy to do, and it certainly couldn't have been easy to do back in 1969. I mean, this was a I'm sure Jeff will agree. It's a, a trailblazing film. I mean, oh, it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's no one had seen anything like this in commercial film at the time. And I, you know, I'm trying to think, I, I don't really have any problems with it. I think the Andy Warhol's, you know, the friends of Andy Warhol and that whole scene is a little bit, I would, I won't say out of place. It just feels a little bit forced to me. That's the only yeah scene in the movie i had a problem with a, a minor problem not not a big problem uh, it's latham just to point out uh, that's real andy warhol stuff 
So I know the, it is. I, I, the people, the, 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 the performers were from Andy Warhol's uh, factory. Correct. And, and I just felt, maybe I feel it's more out of place with the rest of the film. I just, I wasn't, I, w- I bought everything up until that scene. And then that scene, even though that's as real as you can get for the time, it just, I don't know, it just didn't, it's like a puzzle piece that's just a little bit out of place. I just, I didn't buy it completely. But that's that's a minor a transgression on my part as far as this film. It's it's a great film. John Barry's score is different than all his other stuff and still great. And that's you know that's a testament to him. He's one of my favorite composers. John Barry, um, J- James Bond. He, he right. did all those movies. Yeah, James I mean Bond. it's the opposite of a James Bond score, right? <laughs> um, and the way the way you know that the film worked and that it's got you is if you feel for Ratso Rizzo when he dies, if you're feeling for him at that point, after everything that's happened beforehand, I mean, it's, it's, it's worked, it's written and it's gotten you. And that, you know, it, 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 you know, it's, it's bothersome. And, you know, it's funny. One of the things I saw written up about this was that, you know, that it was an unrelentingly bleak movie. And I, I never, I never felt that way about it. I never felt like it was like, like it was like so overwhelmingly like dark. There's a lot of like, like you said, there's uncomfortable scenes. There's, there's other stuff going on, but I never felt like that. It was like, it's not like watching the road, <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that's, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a that's bleak movie. It comes. Well, where do you see little children? <laughs> um, um, there's, there's an enormous comedy and the New York attitude of, of all the characters. Right the 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 cadence of their speech and and so forth it is um uh you know it new yorkers are innately funny (laughs) (laughs) well you can view that as sad as well though depending on your point of view if you live in new york or whatever i mean that it i i think bleak is too probably too strong a term for the film but I can see how someone would apply it, especially if, especially back then. Yeah. Compared to everything else that was out it. I mean, this movie had, you know, it probably deserved best picture that year, but it really didn't have any competition. If you look against the look at the films, it was up against. I mean, I'm not a fan of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid. I think that movie, it's a decent movie. I just think it's overrated. And then you've got hello, Dolly and of a thousand days and Z and it's, you know, this movie's just a real strong drama. It's going to, you know, if, if you like dramas, this is one you have to see. This is a checklist movie. It's it's two main actors and a, and a director that knows how he wants to present it. And that's, I think that's why I like it. The that's most. really interesting that True Grit wasn't nominated for Best Picture. Because that's, mm-hmm. that's yeah, who they both, that's, like that's who, yeah, they both see. lost to John Wayne for Best Actor. They did. Uh, the canceled out split the vote. Yeah, I find it well. I find it interesting that True Grit wasn't nominated for Best Picture. Well, I think that wasn't this wasn't the remake nominated for Best Picture. Oh yeah, am I wrong about? No, that? it definitely was. I think that's a better movie. Honestly, the Coen but, Brothers. <laughs> yeah, I do. It's pretty. It's I, I pretty. It, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> Whoa! Holy crap! Okay, but I think that's <laughs> I think that's partially the eras in which those films were made also plays a big part in those two versions but that's you know that's me you know it's interesting too you know i i'll 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 let hassan go before i get into to a couple of these other things but um there's some good uh 
you know, the one thing I have to say is I'd never seen, I'd never seen Brenda Vaccaro in something when she was this young. Mm, yeah. And she, oh my God, she was absolutely adorable. Lovely. Oh yeah. I think I didn't see her in anything probably until maybe the mid to late seventies and something, maybe on TV or something. I don't, I don't ever remember seeing her on anything. this young before. Huh? Supergirl. 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 That's, the, that's the first. That's the first role I ever saw. I well, that's the first role I ever recognized her in, and it was wow. such a. It was such a poor role. Didn't you know, she to, do a series of commercials for like her, feminine but... products in the eighties? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Maybe yeah. that's where I first saw her. Didn't. And was she cute in those? Steve? Well, she was an attractive woman. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, in this, she's absolutely. She's just adorable looking. Oh yeah, for but, sure. Uh, so Hassan, what did, monstrous. What, what, but... did, what did what did you think of uh, of Midnight Cowboy? Oh, so so many things. <laughs> you know, there is a there is a very strong New Yorkism to the movie. It is it is it is a very New York story. You know, and most of the stories in New York about getting you know ground up. And then dying on the way out of New York. <laughs> I mean, and I'm not kidding. I'm not being. Did they ever I mention mean, anywhere? Did I? Did I miss? Did they ever talk about what it was? Was that was Dustin Hoffman's issue? Or did it have been the illness? Yeah, yeah. He caught pneumonia. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. I mean, he had a lot of other things wrong with him, but but right. Yeah, he was just in bad health. Okay. Right. Yeah. And he had a limp. I mean, I do, I do see that they, the, the two of them formed a friendship. I do think that um, the John Voight's character was a little more uh, or a little less uh, nefarious than Rizzo oh. in his own, you know. But I mean, he was also a hustler, you know. And he was, and just, just as we discussed earlier, he was, uh, you know, his his morals were in question even before he got gang raped, you know. But to me, it kind of, to to me, it sort of said if you use yourself to get ahead, it's going to kill you. You know, it's not, you're not going to get there. You're not going to get ahead. You're going to end up burning yourself out in the attempt. And you, you know, um, and you're, it's, it's just a, I don't know what you would call it. Um, it's an unattainable goal, you know? And so these guys are living like this, this, you know, hard life, and then they're they're medicating or you know whatever their their vice is to to contend with the hard life that they're living but they're but they're but they're living that hard life to try to get a better life but because they're medicating while they're living the hard life they don't end up getting the better life and it's it's kind of a to me um kind of a typical story it's like a very new york story of trying to, to i mean beyond the beyond the social uh, context of the story which is which is tremendous it's like a stand it's it's a regular story of people just you know burning themselves out to to you know and not even really realizing you know that they're doing damage to themselves and to everybody else exactly. in the in the attempt to try to you know to stay uh to stay ahead of it or stay afloat i don't know i first i, I watched this movie years ago because it was x-rated you know it was it was it came on it came on Showtime or something like that, but it was like really highly publicized as in the, you know, once X-rated movie. But even when I watched it, and that was in the 90s, you know, the 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 quote unquote gay lifestyle was not 
an exotic or taboo thing as much as it was when this movie had come out. Oh, yeah. So I remember watching it going, well, what's the big deal about, you know, this, <laughs> you know, but watching it now. And then that was when I was, when I was younger and watched it, that was the reason I watched it was for the controversy. And then it, it, it not being very controversial to my 1995 brain or whatever. I think I was, might've been maybe 20, 21 at the time watching it now and and just seeing again seeing past the social uh uh statement that was making about you know about being otherized and being on the outside looking in and that kind of stuff just watching it now just just, the thing that struck me was just the the futility of the of you know people who are way down on the rung trying to trying to sell whatever they've got to get a little a little bit ahead with these really rudimentary dreams of, you know, just going to Miami, you know, just getting away from, I mean, which is not even, you know, to people like us, it's not even a big deal. Like, oh, you can just get on a plane to go to Miami or whatever. Yeah, and this, that's next weekend. This, Let's go. <laughs> yeah. This is, this was a, you know, this is Rizzo's like dream of dream, you right. know? And I mean, it is a little Hollywood, schlock that and i don't mean that in a bad way that he doesn't even make it that he did he dies on the way there you know on the in the in the attempt and that in the process the bus driver was like ah just close his eyes you know what, what can we do you know <laughs> right. very very pre very prior to covid you know story which yeah, they would have quarantined that whole yeah. bus and everybody would have been in, in intensive care worrying about what was going to happen to them but uh uh, it, it, I mean, it was kind of passe. It's just kind of blase kind of circumstance where this guy dies and people just, you know, they're looking at John Voight like, you know, just close his eyes, you know, and then we'll. And so, I mean, that to me was most poignant, you know, kind of thing was. Well, and even you live, with that, he was like, he's like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah. like he'd never been around like anyone who died before. But he, yeah, didn't, but, he yeah. didn't understand that like people die with their eyes open. Yeah, and it, it 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 is just so to me, you know that the the bus driver says there's nothing we can do, you know it's already happened. There's nothing we can do. Just closes, you know, just closes eyes, and I'm gonna get back to driving with a dead body. And and then even the people are like, damn, that's too bad about your friend, man. Yeah, and then happened, everybody man? went back. And after all the guy had been through, and you know all he had done, and all the terrible things that he did, and you know all the all the dreams that he had, it just all amounted to him getting sick, and then you know dying on a bus. dying on a bus on on his way out, you know. And then it would have just been a you know you 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 know by the by the format of the show, also by knowing life a little more now that we do, it, things wouldn't have been any easier or better in Miami, you know. Right. And so then you know if so, is it was it better? that he died thinking that he was on his way out, you know, as opposed to him getting out to get to Miami and finding out he's got to be just as, you know, he's got to hustle just as hard right, right, just to, just to make, you know, just to get anything. And it'd probably be worse because at least he knew New York city and he would have no idea where he was in Miami. I don't know. There's so many things <laughs> were, you know, just watching the film, you know, people just fall into 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 relationships with other people, you know, out of necessity or whatever. And you know, the anger that that Rizzo had when uh, when uh, John Voight came back to the apartment after his successful hustle, you know, with twenty dollars, yeah. you know, 
and um, and he was, you know, he's angry because he's sick, you know, and he knows. And he spent he, money on socks. He's like, yeah, I could have just lifted these. Yeah, but I mean, he's <laughs> he's also knows that he's 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 sick in New York City. You know, that's not a that's not a good place. This is not a good place to be sick. It's not a good. No, it's not. A, he's in and in his particular position. Being sick, he knows. He probably knows subconsciously that he's Control. that he's yeah. yeah he's done. You know, mm-hmm. um, that's why he's he's yelling at him. Just I don't want to talk. Just just give me the soup. You know, I just I don't want to. You know, I just want to feel better. I just want to get it. Okay. And so like it to me beyond beyond this the 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 social statements, which I don't know. I, mean, I might be I might be understating it or I might be misstating it. I mean, in the in the world of today, they're not even the social statement isn't even that strong, you know, that, you know, you got to you come to this, you're a bumpkin, you come to this big city and you sell yourself just to to get nothing, basically. And this big victory was twenty dollars, you know, I mean, it just <laughs> all of it just said so much, like watching it this time out, like just watching it for the end result. Well, I love I love in that first encounter, he gets hustled. It's yeah. like, you know, he, yeah, he ends up yeah. he's so money. bad at it. He gets hustled. That's the point. <laughs> it's a sad story, you know, but yeah. it's uh, it's not sad so much that the people died and that these guys are living in an abandoned building. And it's just sad because uh, at a certain level, you know, when, when you get when they got you down to the level where you're selling yourself, you know, and, and this this is, you know, that's analogous of anything, you know, when you're selling out, when you're you're giving, you know, you're giving your body and soul away, you're not going to win. You know, there's no there's 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 not an amount of, you know, grinding that you can do at that level that gets you to to the promised land of Miami, you know. But, uh, yeah. And that's kind of how I felt about it. Uh, 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 the, that's a beautiful uh, observation because that's the heart and soul of the film. You're you're making, uh, uh, you, you're proving the to me the beauty of the film because how many uh, films, particularly in that era, were able to to communicate that uh, powerful statement? Uh, those were things again that most people did not think about, even though they existed, even though they were present around us in the city at that time, it would never be, um, uh, you know, on the silver screen portrayed by the guy from the graduates, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. you know, a smash hit movie at that time, by the way. Unrecognizable in this Unrecognizable. film. Unrecognizable. Um, yeah. yeah, that's why he got elevated to such an elite status as an actor so quickly, right. are those two. Apparently, well, uh, apparently there's this, this story for that Mike Nichols tried to persuade him not to do the movie. Don't do he it. He said, sir. are you crazy? He goes, I made you a star. This is an ugly character and it's a supporting role to John Voight. What are you doing? Why are you sabotaging yourself? <laughs> Absolutely true. And he went on to Lenny after that, real right? soon after that, right. right? So he's just, you know, he's like, okay, you can make me anything. I'll play a bowling ball and I'll sell it. Okay. <laughs> Does not matter. Uh, and and Hassan, the, the point about the end, here's something to, to, to think about. Um, until Midnight Cowboy, gays were psychotic evil or dead yeah. in movies great point uh, you know joe buck walks away he walks away he throws yeah. his, his clothes in the garbage and 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 lives he survived he survived 
Yeah, he survives. Um, That's the key thing. Uh, I, I um I, I would recommend all listeners uh, of the podcast to to pick up the book or or watch the documentary, The Celluloid Closet. Uh, uh, I've written, seen that. Written by Vito Russo. Um, it, you know, and in it, he he illustrates very powerfully how uh, gay male characters or gay characters in general, uh, um, you know, were either miserable or doomed. Um, <laughs> everywhere from tea and sympathy all the way through Sal Minio in Rebel Without a Cause. Right. Um, uh, you know, and and, um, and and this damaged uh, gay people. You know, to 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 have that as the only thing that you could ever see about yeah. yourself on the screen in our societal high art. Yeah, you know, yeah. in, in yeah. our highest art, um, uh, it generates self-loathing. It can't help but do so. Uh, this was the first movie where at least um, the the dude walked away and and um, and, and, and has some kind of chance and got away embracing a friend you know he didn't betray anybody he didn't you know i mean at the that's a heartbreaking scene at the end of the film where he's successful in his hustle and he got another appointment you know Mm -hmm. and he comes the first thing he does is come back with a with a bag of you know small bag but a bag of goodies for his for his friend that's right um you know, and he doesn't, you know, he's, he's naive. So he doesn't quite understand the, the vulnerability that the, the Rizzo character is, is experiencing. And he uses the money from the hustle to get, to get him out of town. And then, so yeah, he gets away, but also like on top of that, he's, he's, he's just displayed very non monstrously because he's, he's just hugging his dead friend on a, you know, on a bus with the indifference of, you know, all the people around him, like, yeah, just make sure he close. And I'm sure they said close his eyes because it was creeping them out that his eyes were open. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't out of dignity for, uh, for the Rizzo character. So, yeah, I, I understand the, and I, and I, I was born in 73, so I don't quite remember the, the, the poor depiction, uh, but I understand it as, an African-American about like, you know, being depicted uh, rather negatively and And the the social implications of that. Yeah. So, and that wasn't Hollywood squalor. That was pretty realistic squalor. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. (laughs) No. Yeah. I, 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 the, the, the schlock I met was just the fact that it was like that, the kind of the same, but it's good schlock. It's the same kind of schlock as in the end of uh, Shawshank Redemption where, you know, Mm -hmm. they're, you know, it's just, it's just it's just a, a a sappy wrap up like that he doesn't even make it you know he doesn't yeah. even get there i mean a modern telling of this particular story would have hit all the tenets of uh of the otherizing that you experience in in new york city in the 70s but then the the the, the real world spin on it would be that he would get to miami and find out he has to live in another abandoned house or something like that and then it would just leave you like fuck off, you know. Nothing, nothing works out, and everybody, you know. So it I, sometimes the schlock is good, you know. Um, I think it's a mercy that he died, thinking that he was on his way right. out. That he right. did, he, he, that he didn't die in that abandoned building. That he was with a friend, you know, who helped give, who gave him brand new clothes, you know. 
I mean, that's, but I mean, that's the best he could hope for at that point. And that's, which really tragic about it as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, we should not let this go without mentioning everybody's talking uh, the song sung by Harry Nilsson. Right. Uh, and uh, it, it reached number six on the uh, top 40 charts and won a Grammy award. Uh, uh, it, it, a wonderful uh, song. Yeah. And one of the greatest lines of all time in any movie. I'm walking right, here. I'm walking <laughs> here. Which was impro- improvised, yep, right? Totally improvised. <laughs> the the yeah. cab was not supposed to, the cab turned into him. Right. Uh, in the middle of the way where they were crossing that intersection. And he said that, you know, he said later in an interview that he almost said, we're shooting here. Like he was like, hey, can't you see where right. you know, we're in the middle, making <laughs> yeah, we're in the middle of a scene? Yeah. But instead, he stayed in character and <laughs> it became one of the most iconic things in Hollywood history. I remember in the 90s when I first saw that, and it was the revelation. Was, That's where this comes from, That's you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because everybody's, you know, in all those Hollywood clip shows, it's like, yeah, they show so that m- scene. <laughs> every Well, no, not even that. Like, so many comedians had just just used the line. So oh, many okay. people just, just quote it. But they don't, you know, even most people who quote it don't even know where it came from. Mel Gibson like says it in the movie Apocalypto. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, <laughs> funny! Oh, I got to see that again. <laughs> I hope no one picks that dress. There, there's I actually uh, like that movie. That scene, and so at the end of this film with him, him dying on the bus, um, I, I guess it's probably the first major Hollywood film that uses that as sort of its closing scene to tie up a movie with a scene with two friends in a vehicle of some sort and having one of them pass away, whether it be ironically or for whatever reason, the, the, and the thing is, is I better than electric light and blue. Holy crap. What an ending. Well, 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 it was later, later on. (laughs) Well, the thing is, is I remember a movie from 74 when I was a kid that had a very similar ending. And I always thought that I was, I loved the way that they ended it on this note. And now to find out that they did it five years earlier in this film now makes me think slightly lesser of it, but not overly <laughs> lesser of it. But um, there was a there was a Clint Eastwood movie from 1974, uh, Michael Cimino's first directing job, um, a movie called Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Lightfoot there, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, a heist. And you don't even really notice that he's it doesn't even seem serious what happened. Mm-hmm. And then there's a there's almost right. a comedic scene. After he's, you know, after such as whatever yes. happens, because he's because he's talking to him, and then all of a sudden in the car, it's just like, yeah, yeah it's the he, first time I ever saw something like that as an ending, and I was just, I was, I was completely broken by that. Because don't, don't they taunt two people in a church before, you know, <laughs> after he's quote unquote injured, right? But but before he quote unquote die you know like oh, you have to quote unquote a, he does die <laughs> yeah but I'm, I'm trying not to not to well, totally it's 1974 i mean come on too late yeah. not, well, we I'm don't not, know I'm who we're talking about, about though true enough. but there's a there's a scene Why? where they they're kind of they're taunting these people in a church and he's he seemed like perfectly fine no know? that's before that because that's before they get they don't really taunt them while they're there at the at the little red at the little red schoolhouse they don't they don't really they, they just, just kind of hover there they just kind of go yeah they hang on waiter and hang out and then they go in and 
get do what they got to do. And then it's as they leave and driving down the road thinking, you know, nothing but green grass and high tides forever. And, Mm-mm. and then it's just not, not, not going to be out. So. Out is not out. There is no out. Yeah. There's, there's a know? couple of movies from the seventies that I remember as a kid, I remember that one. And there was a, there was a motocross racing movie with Michael J. Pollard called little Foss and big Halsey. Uh, from the 70s as well that I, I for some reason i always remember that and thunderbolt and lightfoot and they were just i don't know if i just ended up seeing them multiple times on television for some reason but uh did these movies like certain movies they're not super well known but they just stick in my head for whatever reason but anyway yeah so apparently warren Beatty was interested in playing the joe buck character uh, and Schlesinger thought he was way too, way too famous to be believable as a, <laughs> as a native street hustler. They, they weren't into the stunt casting as much back then. Uh, so Lee majors was then cast as Joe Buck, uh, and had wow. to, pull, but had to pull out because the TV show he was on big Valley was renewed for another season. So I he was, was like, think that maybe he needed to recharge his bionic parts or something like that. <laughs> he wasn't bionic yet um oh, harrison harrison foreign screed tested for joe buck wow, wow. and uh so john Voigt would have a- been the same because voight has got this kind of he really does emote this all shucks kind of thing right he, he's where he used to. Closed. right yeah uh yeah. john so john Voigt at that point was hired but then he was having problems nailing because he's from Yonkers. Uh, he was having problems getting that Texas sort of good old boy accent down. So they en- they ended up cutting him loose and hiring Michael Sarazen. Wow. And then Michael Sarazen at the last minute pulled out because he was his pulled, agent told him it was going to be a, a, a death sentence as well. No, probably. He, he pulled him out because it was a, he was a wage dispute. Wow. So they called Voight back up and, and Voight came right hey. back in. So do you, do you still, you still interested? Sorry. Am, we find amazing <laughs> the way things work out, you know, when you, when you find out stuff like this, um, yeah, it's Robert Blake was offered the part of Ratso. Wow. And Whoa. declined it. That yeah, would have been too, too edgy, too dark, a lot skinnier and young. I don't That's know what he was. Like so it would have been too dark. He's the Robert Blake. Even even in, even Beretta was dark, you know, <laughs> way darker than um, <laughs> way um, darker than than Dustin Hoffman. This is the first film from both uh, M. Emmett Walsh and Bob Balaban, who played the, the yeah, guy Bob in Balaban. the in the theater, which I was like, I was I was like, holy crap. M. Yeah, M. Emmett Walsh cool is the one I was I kept trying to figure out what his name was from uh, from They Might Be Giants. He's in that very, right. very briefly. Yeah. Um, but okay, sorry. That's that's, that's, right. that's another uh, show. <laughs> D- Dustin Hoffman apparently kept a pebble in his shoe, taped in the bottom of his shoe, so that when his lim- so he would limp consistently uh, the right over foot. the while while they were while they were doing his the filming and uh, <laughs> method. <laughs> method. <laughs> and uh, I missed her in the movie, but apparently Sandy Duncan was in the movie, and I didn't I didn't see her. Where? I don't know. It just said that Sandy Duncan appeared in this, and they, and, they, and as a note that says she was probably, it's not a, I don't think it's a speaking role. She's probably either an extra or maybe in a, yeah. in a background of a shot. But uh, it said apparently, they, they said it was probably, as the movie she typically went for, this is probably the only R slash X rated movie she ever <laughs> appeared in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she probably wasn't, you know, advertising it at the time. 
And this movie has the other uh, a designation of being the first known use of the word scuzzy. <laughs> wow. It's, it's honor, it's a right? Great there. word. <laughs> yeah. And frighteningly fitting. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Perfect. But, yeah. But yeah, that's uh, that was a really good watch. That was uh, that's a movie. That's a movie that from that time period that really lives up even now lives up to the 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 quality of it of its filmmaking. Yeah, even the um, second time around. That's a that's like, that's yeah. a movie that that's a movie that's good beyond its era for sure. Well, thank you so much. Uh, it, such a heartfelt uh, d- discussion about it. I, I really appreciate. Yeah, it's, that you gave it such a close look, guys. Thank you. A movie everyone should see that's listening. It's, yeah. it's important, culturally important. Absolutely. So so we're going to talk a little bit about um, John Schlesinger's movie library for a couple minutes here, Jeff, uh, as part are of the- not going down the tubes? We are not. There are no posters. I didn't do posters. Okay. Uh, well, for, I'll tell you this. For Midnight Cowboy, there was- essentially two posters that were used on the domestic program that were both done and it's mostly the two two versions of the same movie yeah, still screenshot of the two of them standing on a street corner essentially yeah. and then the only other alternative version of that honestly that i found was a, was a nicely done italian poster but it was a paint a repaint of that still image so it's not even a different picture you know i could have done you know the polish midnight cowboy poster is honestly pretty tame it's kind of a shadowed cowboy face done in blue and black uh but not so completely off base that you would be shocked well we will... i guess we're going up the tubes yeah we're going up the short tube to uh to john schlesinger as a director and uh i was looking through his works earlier and i found he did a lot of he did a lot of other good middle of the road thrillers, uh, especially later in his career. But he did one of my favorite films, which I didn't realize, which is Falcon and the Snowman. That is my one oh, of my wow. all time favorite movies. What was that, son? I said, "Wow, yeah." I, I, I <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, most people are going to know Marathon Man. He also did The Believers, which is a highly underrated uh, uh, thriller slash horror film with yeah, uh, so Martin. Spiders come out of Martin Sheen's face, right? Uh, not Martin no, Sheen's not Martin face. Sheen. Uh, the girl uh, in the film, the main girl, she has that thing. Yeah, that's that's a that was the first time I ever saw anything like that in the movie. I was like, what? Yeah, <laughs> that was. And he also thanks did- for thanks for bringing that image back. <laughs> Much appreciated. <laughs> You want to know if I like that film? <laughs> sure. No, I hate it. <laughs> All right then, <laughs> Jeff. What are, what other Schlesinger films you like? You think this is Schlesinger's best film? Well, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, but you know, a, a movie that I I came to appreciate um, uh, separately from Midnight Cowboy was Billy Liar. Uh, uh, believe oh. it or not. Okay. That was a uh, that's a, a a movie about a character who um, has a fairly mundane life, but but has these extremely vivid fantasies. Um, so suddenly he can whip out a machine gun and shoot a crowd that's around him, you know, and and, and stuff like that. Oh, kind of similarly um, to the way Harold and Maude is done. There you go. Yes. Okay. Yes. 
um, uh, but there, it's it's all through, and um, uh, and so it's it's actually it shapes up into a kind of complex uh, psychological portrait. Okay. Uh, even though it was um, you know uh, a much earlier film, that's sixty three. Yeah. Uh, it's it still you know it was kind of interesting. Yeah, I was looking at the I'm looking at the IMDb synopsis is a lazy, irresponsible young clerk in provincial northern England lives in his own fantasy world and makes emotionally immature decisions as he alienates friends and family. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, all right then. <laughs> yeah, and like I said, most everyone most everybody's gonna recognize Marathon Man. Yeah, I mean that's that's his best three movies, is yep. is this Marathon Man and um uh, uh, Falcon and the Snowman's brilliant. So, yeah, Falcon and the Snowman. I I think I have a connection with that because that's the first movie I saw that had that sort of it had that element of movies that I've really grown to love, which is the you know the sort of you know essentially the the spy thriller without being you know it's a little bit different take on the spy on the modern spy, especially on the modern yeah, it's spy. Gritty. Very gritty and themes real and well, and it's so like not pulpish and it's so like the the exchanges and the information it's so mundane that it's not like you know it's not like action suspense you know it's just like he just finds it so easy to take stuff out of there so he just starts doing it and it's mm -hmm. just like it's like this is top secret stuff oh i could literally just fold this up and put it in my book bag and take it out with me <laughs> right. um uh, speaking of soundtracks pat metheny uh, uh on uh Falcon oh, this is Snowman. not america this yeah, America, David With Bowie. Bowie yeah. Oh, yeah, classic, gorgeous, too. gorgeous classic. soundtrack. Most uh, one of the most underrated '80s songs by far. Yeah, lot, lots of uh, lots of solid films in his. Uh, yeah, in his Pacific film. Heights is not one of them. <laughs> it's not great. It's not great. Although it's you know, good. it's it's funny. The uh, the one thing I did remember liking about that movie is the reveal when they finally get in the apartment, and it's just like. What what he's done to the apartment is just so bizarrely random. It's like you know, cutting out chunks of floorboards and like yeah. you know, there's just like holes everywhere, and you're just like, what the fuck? Uh, yeah, next best thing is pretty awful. That's a pretty bad movie, dude. That's just, yeah, his final film. Yeah, uh, next best thing. Which one was that? Oh, geez, yeah, yeah, Madonna, Madonna and Rupert Everett. Yeah, <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's a that's a bit of a step down. Soundtrack's good, but uh, movie <laughs> it's pretty garbage. I have that soundtrack. Believe it or not, <laughs> I have it on CD. I know that's hard to believe after previous conversations tonight, but I do. <laughs> uh, that's the only movies I've seen by him. So yeah, he did Eye for an Eye and those those nineties. He said Believers and Falcon and the Snowman. Those are the two that I re those two really stand out to me. I remember those two movies very very specifically. Right. What a good Hon director. What was Honky Tonk Freeway? What is that? Sounds like a movie very, would be a very seventies uh, movie, which was made in nineteen eighty one. That doesn't bode well. <laughs> That's got Howard Hessman in it. Oh, Terry, really? Wow. Terry Gar, Bo Bridges. Beverly D'Angelo. No Clint Eastwood? Nope. I bet he's in there somewhere. <laughs> oh, you're thinking of Honky Tonk Man. Ah, that's what I am. Yeah, you're right. 
you know, I'd say we're probably about 65 to 70% of the time. Uh, at least one of us has seen one, if not both of the films that get picked. Um, so this was a nice, a nice mix of, uh, you know, of, of us where, you know, some of us hadn't seen one film, but had seen the other. Um, uh, but no, none of us had seen both. Uh, so that was, that was a good, a good choice. And, and, and honestly, two great movies. And I like said, not every movie is going to be for every person. You know, there's some people out there who just don't like musicals. I understand that. That's fine. They just, you know, they can't get around music and, and as part of storytelling, you know, that's, that's going to be what it is. Um, yeah, there's just blatantly something wrong with them. Well, yeah. <laughs> now say that Jeff Gomez bought the gay. <laughs> yeah, he went. As you put in your email, we went full homo. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, Jeff, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on with us again. Thank you, guys, and bringing thank two you. great movies with you. This is two good choices. You are three for four, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember alone. what was his other movie. The first one, Fight Club. <laughs> Fight Club. Oh, Fight Club. Yeah, you're three for four. <laughs> oh man! Shut up, Lenny. <laughs> you're, you're gonna ruin it. Shut up. <laughs> Definitely four for four. You're good. <laughs> I don't know. Basket case was basket case was sort of tough. <laughs> it was sort of. It was sort of a big ass. I will say that. <laughs> your, your review was so entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> your, yeah, that's just it. The, the dislike is so entertaining. That you, almost, <laughs> you, almost, you almost hope there's at least one dissenter. Like he was just recounting what happened. <laughs> just his description of that. <laughs> the head in the basket screamed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Fuck that movie. <laughs> yeah, still wasn't Solange. Okay, <laughs> Nothing's man. ever gonna be Solange. <laughs> you never know. We never. Thanks to Jeff, I got a new CD coming, and that makes right. me very happy. There you go. God, it was so much fun. Guys, thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Thank man, you, Jeff. really, we appreciate. I, I really appreciate it, and we'll uh, we'll get you on. Uh, we'll get you on on a, a little bit uh, sooner uh, return this time. Sure. We'll, we, won't, sure. we won't make we won't make you wait six months next time. Toss my social media where you post the um, absolutely, sir. The podcast, and I'll spread the word. Awesome, you guys are fantastic. Good night, thanks, okay. Jeff. We'll talk Good to you night. soon. Night. See ya. So, thanks to Festly and Music. Please check out our website at sentimentalpod.com for all the poster images we normally discuss on our Down the Tube segments, but not this week. And don't forget to download and subscribe to Sentimental wherever you enjoy your podcasts. You can always listen to new episodes at sentimentalpod.com. Also, Please follow us on all major social media accounts at Cinemental Pod. For Asan Godwin, Latham Conger, Jeff Gomez, and myself, we say thank you so much for listening. And as always, in the words of our friend and starstruck Texas hustler, Truman Burbank. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night.